Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Thank you, worship team. Uh, Rebecca's first time singing with us. Thank you, Rebecca. Great job. Sounded beautiful. We're so glad you guys are here, honored that you would worship with us today. I wanted to start by saying we believe theologically that if you're here, you're here for a reason. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a few moments, but I wanted to set the stage. You are here on purpose, and I believe God wants to do something really beautiful in your heart. Before I get into the message, I want to share a prayer request with you. I'm going to put a picture on screen. I am in the picture, which is slightly weird. Uh, I made sure that I didn't wear the same shirt. I almost did. That would be slightly embarrassing. But here's this prayer request. Um, This is a picture of our uh, church and the land that we have as a church. And let me just share a bit of the background and then the prayer request. My wife, Jessica, and I felt like God was calling us to come to the Nashville area from Los Angeles almost five years ago. We had pastored a church there for eight years uh, that we got to start there. And that church, though there were many tears, immediately got behind us and supported us. And a few of our partner churches around the country got behind us. And we moved uh, with three daughters, and my wife was pregnant with our son, uh, across, uh, halfway across the country, a little more here to the Nashville area in December of, I guess it was 18, and, um, or it might have been 17, 17, and it was almost 2018. And we had almost zero relationships here. We had no jobs and our fourth kid on the way, but we had a vision to start a new church. And little did we know that that first year of being in this area would become a merger with this church. So our team that we had been building merged with a wonderful congregation here at Graceland Church that had been laboring for almost 20 years with a vision to build a land of grace here in Franklin and the Thompson Station area just south of Nashville. And we were overwhelmingly blessed by their faithfulness, and we stood on their shoulders as we got to step into this building and this 135 acres of land on the intersection of 65 and 840, one of the really prime intersections as the outgrowth of Nashville comes down this direction. Some of you guys in the room were here for that merger, and we knew the first step was to become a healthy church together, and by God's grace, we've seen this happen over the last four years, as we've become healthy and we're growing healthier. And now it's clear that the moment is right for us to begin expanding this facility and also developing the land of grace for the good of the city. So this photo is from one of my many recent meetings with architects, uh, builders, and developers, and we just believe in prayer. So I'm asking you guys to pray for us right now myself, our board, some of our leadership, as we make some really key decisions that will be long partnerships with some of these architects and developers uh, for for decades to come. Because we believe if we want to see our best effort, we work really hard. But if we want to see God's best, we pray really hard. And we're looking for what God has called us to do and who he wants to work with wants us to work with and who will commit here to pray with us for that. Right now, we're making those decisions. Who's excited about the incredible things God is doing in our midst. Isn't it amazing? Now, just to give you a bit of context here in case you've never seen this, the church building that we're in right now is right here, that little spot. And this is the field between us and 840. There's our friends right over there at Conduit Church that we love. And this is our 
private driveway here, and this is our back gate. And if we open that and go through, you drive into this part of the land. It dumps down right up against 65. It's about a half mile of highway frontage up, and that yellow line roughly outlines uh, the acreage. And it is an incredibly beautiful and complex and miraculous backstory why we have all this. And what we know for sure is it is a God setup. The Lord is doing it. The Lord has called us to steward this for the kingdom. And you guys are a part of that. And we plan to have uh, rendering, 3D renderings and uh, designs to show you about our expansion on this facility, which will meet our immediate growth needs and our plans for the entire master planning of the property before the end of this year. We'll present to you and uh, invite you to be a part of it in many ways. So it is an exciting time and please be praying with us. Another bit of news before I get into the sermon for today is that beginning on September 11th, just two weeks from today, we're going to pause the Gospel of John series, which we've been in for about a year. We'll be in it for another year or so. And we're going to do a three-part series called Dream Again. And there's two reasons we really feel like God is leading us to do this series. One, we're compelled to create space for you, the church family, to invite friends, family, neighbors, and co-workers into the family of God, the hope of Jesus, and we believe this series will be a really perfect opportunity for that. We're praying that hurting will find hope, that isolated will find community and family, and our commitment is we're going to make room for them. And our first service is smaller than our second service, but we're thankful for every open seat we have in this room because I want you to hear me. Our team is working really hard to make these open seats possible right? We decided a little while back, we've got to switch to two services because we need space for those that God is calling to receive hope in our church family and calling us to disciple and pour into. So we sacrifice and we work hard for these open seats. So we celebrate them because everyone represents a life that God is calling us to be a part of. You guys tracking with me? And this series, we just feel like it's, a, it's something God is leading us into. I really feel that. I'll speak for myself uh, and I'm asking you to start praying now, even as I'm speaking, for the people that pop into your heart and mind that he may be calling you to invite into the church family. And we know it's not just inviting them to a service, church service, but that's a great first open door into the family of God, right? You with me on that? The second reason we want to do this series is because we want you, our church, or, and even if you're brand new with us, our heart is for you to be so free in the Lord that you can dream again about what life could be. Can you remember back to some time when you were dreaming? And I'm not saying you aren't now, but dreamt about what work could be, what relationships could be, what freedom and forgiveness and joy and peace could be. Life has a way of beating that out of us. Anybody with me? So we just really feel like it's an invitation from the Lord to you, to us, our church family, to dream again. Because when we connect with God, he moves us towards the deepest dreams of our heart. I believe that completely. So pray with us for that series. And now we're going to get to the Gospel of John, today's message. We're going into chapter 11, and I want to open with this question, and I want you to actually think about it and raise your hand if this is you. Has anyone here faced a challenge in your life this past week? Raise your hand if you're with me. It's kind of a duh question, I know. It's kind of... The reality is we faced, someone's laughing that faced a lot of challenges, or someone hit the person next to them that did not raise their hand and be like, I am your challenge. I, you know. 
We face a lot of problems in life. Uh, someone could be hurting in your family right now. You could have frustrations at work. Uh, you could have a project. You could have relational difficulties. Have you ever had that feeling? Life would be great if it wasn't for all these people. Like, you just feel peopled. Maybe it's finances that are a challenge for you right now, or it could be kids and grandkids. It could be marriage challenges. It could be among your friends. We all face problems. The question is really what we choose to do with our problems as followers of Jesus. And the main idea today is this. Jesus turns problems into opportunities to believe. And we're going to expand on the significance of that as we study the text. But I just wanted to get it into your heart at the very beginning. Jesus turns problems into opportunities to believe. And the title today is For Your Benefit. And we're reading the first 16 verses of John chapter 11. Let's dive into it. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you humbly and we bring our hearts, our minds, our very souls uh, to your feet, the feet of Jesus. And we say, teach us, Master, King, Lord. Teach us, show us your ways. Give us understanding of your word. Help us to understand about our problems and how you're calling us to face them. Bring life where it seems like there's only death, Lord. Bring new perspective where we seem stuck, God. Give us your eyes, your ears, so we can hear, so that we can see. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. The opening verse of chapter 11 is just this declaration. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. And as it explains, uh, Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Jesus was personally close, physically, with this family. They were literally friends of his. And so the sisters say, Lazarus is sick. We, we, we need help. Go get Jesus. And it's just interesting to me that the Bible, the book that we look to as our guide, this chapter starts with just presenting a problem. And it's interesting how many times people think that the Bible is just kind of a book for 
morally superior people that don't deal with the real world. That just means they haven't read it. It actually is full of problems. You know what I'm talking about? It's full of real world stuff. It's in there. And it's also worth noting that 2,000 years ago when this was happening, when you get this sick, you usually die. They did not have the medical care that we have today. So Lazarus was sick and very sick. And this was a big deal problem. And we know this in life, but problems happen all the time. They, we, we have a vision and then we face problems and challenges. And it's, it's like Mike Tyson said. He has a great quote. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> we make our plans and then the problems come and punch us in our face and they mess up our plans. Like we could just be so peaceful if these problems would stop coming. Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? Like you can just come out of the prayer closet alive in the Lord and filled with the truth of scripture and you immediately step into a problem and get frustrated. You're like, here we go again. Anybody? I mean, this is just life. And we don't always realize this, but I believe much of life is shaped by how we choose to face our problems. That's number two in our notes. It reminds me of the old John Lennon lyric who said, life is what happens when you're busy making plans. I think we could say about problems, life is actually what is shaped by how we repeatedly respond to our problems. Because the problems keep coming. Have you guys noticed that yet? And becoming a follower of Jesus does not exempt you from challenges in life. So your life is actually being shaped. Your story is actually being written by how you continually respond to the problems. So how are you responding today to the problems that are in your life? And I wanna also say some problems that are a big deal to us don't seem like a big deal to others. It doesn't mean they're not a big deal. If they're a big deal to you, they really matter. We should not minimize our problems. We should not minimize others' problems. Like, you know, parents sometimes are guilty of minimizing our kids' problems. You know what I mean? Like, because you hear problems constantly, so you're kind of like, hey, that's no big deal. You're gonna be fine. Uh, but sometimes, and oftentimes, they really are a big deal to that kid. It's like every parent can relate to this. Son or daughter, you're not sick, you're fine. We're just gonna, we're gonna get through this. You, you, there's so many times your stomach hurts, you're totally good, let's go. And then as soon as you step out of the house, they lean in the yard and throw up. And you're like, oh, you are sick, right? And I just wanna say, it's good to acknowledge that when I talk about problems, I'm talking about the smallest little annoyances that can really trip you up, that we tend to not think of as serious problems, to the very devastating large-scale problems that lead to the deepest pain in our heart. I think this text applies to all of this. Reading on, it says that he, Lazarus, was from Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha. And it reminds us that Mary is the one who poured perfume on Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word, Jesus, to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And I just think they are modeling for us here the most important, crucial first step in dealing with problems, and that's this, to normalize calling on the Lord about everything in our lives. I use that phrase a lot, and I wanna give an amendment to it. Don't just pray when it's your last resort, but learn how to pray first. We want to be a culture at Graceland Church that prays first. That's why I say, we want you to pray about this decision on architects and developers and builders because we don't want to kind of do our best effort and then when it gets desperate, call on God. No, we want to call on God first because we want to see what he can do. 
And so Jesus, I'm sorry, Lazarus, his sisters, call on Jesus. They're like, we need the power of God up in this place, right? So pray first about whatever problem is coming to your heart and mind right now. I had a consulting call with another pastor. I've been praying for the right voices to guide us through kind of larger scale land development because most pastors, even pastors of, of most mega churches, haven't developed this amount of land. Like a lot of my mentors who pastor giant churches of four, five, 6,000 people have like 18 acres of land and they haven't done these kind of things. So I've, I've been like, God, we need people that can coach and consult and speak into this from a godly perspective. And one of the guys he led me to is this, this gentleman named Paul who pastors a church just outside of Minnesota that they developed like 280 acres. Absolutely incredible work that this vision God gave him about 15 years ago. And he ended up in meetings with like the really large money players in uh, Minnesota, totally out of his depth, uh, not really knowing what he was doing. And they started trying to kind of manhandle him about a few things. And he was just telling me this story two days ago. And so when it looked like the whole deal was gonna fall through uh, that he was working on with them. And so he just stepped out of the room and he went into the hallway and he just felt compelled to get on his knees and start praying. And it was just an impossible situation. He was praying the prayer that we've prayed sometimes. God, have I heard you wrong? Are these not the partners? Am I fighting for the wrong thing? What should I do? He's just calling out to God. And little did he know that while he was out there praying, a conversation broke out uh, with these kind of big players that was very unexpected. And they were talking about the motive of this pastor. And they were not used to dealing with people whose motive is not just more money, right, in, on the development side of things. And so they said, you really think he's not just about money? And they started talking about it. And uh, someone made a joke that was defending him and said, yeah, he's so not about money that he's probably out in the hall praying right now. And it was just a joke. And then they peeked out in the hall and he was on his knees praying in the hall. And he walked back in and they said, hey, we will agree to your terms for this much less. Would that deal still happen for you? And he said, yes, in a heartbeat, I'll sign. And it was really a miraculous open door that came from the posture of praying first. You tracking with me? You do not know what God will speak to your heart when you pray. It changes things. You do not know what will happen around you, among your family, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, when you pray. So we want to be people that pray first and normalize calling on the Lord about everything. In verse four, it says, when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. It's just powerful how he makes the declaration right off the bat. He knows what's gonna happen. This sickness for Lazarus will not end in his death. He's going to be alive. Now, Jesus knows this, but everyone else in the story is still worried. He's the only one who knows the outcome. And he's saying God is gonna be glorified through this. God's gonna glorify his son Jesus through this. And we saw this earlier in the Gospel of John, how sometimes there's no reason for a problem other than God will use it to glorify his son. And I had a great meeting with our pastor emeritus, Ralph Duncan, this week, where he had said something that I just loved. We were actually talking through this text and, and what I was gonna be preaching today. And he said, you know, sometimes we as Christians get caught up with trying to figure out, is this problem from the devil? Is this problem my own stupidity? 
Or is this problem something that God is allowing and we'll spend all our time trying to figure out the problem when actually it's irrelevant who's behind it because scripture is clear that God can and will use all things, including what the enemy intends for evil, including our own sin and stupidity, including things that God allows for his own glory. It says that God will use even what the, what the enemy intends for evil for our good and for his glory. So we don't need to wrestle with all these other things. Where is this coming from? We can just hold to the promise right off the bat. Verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, I don't know about you, but that verse, those two verses do not make sense to me because it says Jesus loved them. Therefore, he waited two days to go heal their brother. <laughs> and I'm like, what? That, does it, does it, it, yeah, it says when he heard this, because he loved them, he stayed there. When you have a need that is time sensitive, you want God on it pronto. You do not want, hey, I hear you. I'm gonna hang here for two days and then I'll be there. Like Jesus has this kind of annoying peace at that point, you know what I mean? He's like, he's like this is not gonna end in death. I'm cool. I'll be there in two days, right? It's just crazy. And it just, it's not, it's beautifully wise, but it feels crazy to us, right? And it reveals usually that we don't really trust the God who can do anything and that we don't really trust his timetable more than our own because he's obviously on a different timetable than us and he's obviously doing more than we realize, and the principle is this, God is doing infinitely more than we realize. And I believe it is infinitely more. John Piper kind of famously said, God is doing 10,000 things in your life and you might be aware of three of them. I take that as really good news because I don't understand a lot of what's going on in my life. You don't understand a lot of what's going on in your life. We can't make sense of the problems and the challenges, but there's more happening then we understand. That's why Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on what? Your own understanding. When we're honest, we realize we spend a lot of time trying to lean on our understanding and pull God into our understanding. And that includes our timetable. Scripture actually says, lean not on your own understanding and equates that with part of trusting God. He's doing infinitely more than we realize. His disciples then say in verse eight, a short while ago, the Jews were there in Judea and they tried to stone you. You're gonna go back there? And they're demonstrating again that they just don't understand what Jesus is doing because they're afraid. And Jesus says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. And he's just declaring there, hey, disciples, we're walking in the light under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, under the command of the Father. And even if we're around people that want to kill us, if we're walking in the light, it's the safest place we could be. We're right in the center of what he has for us, even when it sometimes makes no sense and is highly counterintuitive. There is nothing to fear, he's saying. In verse 11, after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples said, if he sleeps... He will get better. They're now instructing Jesus. You know how we do that? <laughs> oh, Jesus, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Do you realize that? You know, they're gonna teach him something. And it says in verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, 
Lazarus is dead. Now, do you remember a few verses before this where he said, this will not end in death? And now he said, Lazarus is dead. And if I'm the disciples and I'm talking to the Lord about these things, I'm like, you're a little bipolar, Jesus. You just said, this will not end in death. And then you just said, he's not asleep, he's dead. And this is, bear with me here, but he actually told them what he was doing. They misunderstood it. Then he told them as clear as day that the situation is worse than you think. Thank you, Jesus. I think the gospel reminds us of this. The bad news about our fallenness, brokenness, sinfulness, the state of things, the the amount of hurt and pain, the bad news in the world is actually worse than we think. But the good news is actually better than we think. And the light will overcome the darkness. So don't be surprised sometimes when in the middle of you trusting God, already frustrated about the timetable, when things actually look worse at first. I'm convinced there are some things that will look worse the entire time on this side of eternity. And then we will see God redeem all things and create the new heavens and new earth and make sense of everything. And we will see things as they really are clearly, not as though through a veil. And we will understand like we never understood and we will be in perfect love. Amen. So it's about trusting as we go. And then, then comes a statement so startling. And we're gonna spend the rest of our time on this. In verse 14, again, he says, Lazarus is dead. And then in verse 15, for your sake or for your benefit, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. So he's basically saying, hey, this guy that I love, Lazarus, is dead. I know his sisters are mourning. They're terrified right now. Everyone's terribly sad. And it's not that Jesus doesn't care. We're gonna see next week that Jesus actually wept over their pain. Jesus was moved deeply emotionally, and we're gonna talk about that next week. But at this point, he's actually saying to to his disciples, guys, I'm glad this happened for your sake because it's a chance for you to believe. Counterintuitive, but Jesus is letting us know that believing is so important that Jesus is glad when problems give us opportunities to believe. That's how important believing is. What are we meant to believe? The whole theme of the Gospel of John is belief. This book comes back to this over and over again. And what it's saying to us, what it's inviting us to is believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Believe that he is the hope for all mankind. He is the assurance of our salvation. He's the proclaimer of the kingdom. He's the builder of the new heavens and the new earth. He's the one who's perfect in power and love. He's the one who gives us access to forgiveness of sins and the fullness of the spirit. And us believing that is very important and changes everything. It's so important that if problems become opportunities to believe, those problems are for our benefit. Now, I want to clarify. I don't think it means for a second that the heart of Jesus is glad that we're facing pain. Again, we see next week how he weeps over this. But nonetheless, Jesus is glad when we have reason to believe. So here's a really practical step I want to give you, and it's number six. Reframe every opportunity, I'm sorry, reframe every problem as an opportunity to believe. I'm gonna ask, is Nessa still in the room, my daughter? Nessa, can you come on up to the front for a second? Can you guys give Nessa a hand? 
Come on, Nessa. <laughs> She's going to get paid for this. We, whenever I talk about them in a sermon or they help me with something, they get a dollar. She is six, but about to turn seven in two weeks. Can you stand right here and hold this up so everybody can see it? All right, so this, here, go forward actually a little bit so the people on both sides can see. This is a photo of a tree right down here on our property. It's a very old tree, and our neighbors right here, the Fosters, uh, uh, Pam Foster took this photo, and her and her husband gave it to me because um, they thought it would be beautiful for my office, so it's super special to me. And it's during the winter, there was snow falling, and they had it framed like this and gave it to me. And what reframing means in the art world, at least, I learned this back when I was an art student, is when you take a frame on an existing piece like this, and you just put it over, don't hold the frame. You just put it over one little section at first. And so if you were looking at just that part of this painting, it just looks like snow on the ground, right? But then if you reframe, it's to move the frame somewhere else and reposition it. So let's say we go here, then we realize, oh, there's not just snow, there's actually a tree in this painting. And then maybe you can reframe again. And I noticed earlier up here, if you put the frame there, there's actually a power line in here that I didn't notice. Reframing has a way of allowing us to see from a different perspective the painting of our life, if you will, and how the problems happen. And a lot of times, when the frame is just in on one area that's maybe just snow, it's cold, it's dark, we don't have any solutions, that's all we're seeing. Part of reframing is to move it over here and say, oh my goodness, I forgot, there's a beautiful tree on the painting of my life. There's a beautiful history. There's, there's a stories of God's faithfulness. Look at all these brands. Oh my goodness, I forgot about all this. And then, and bear with me, this is a little corny. But then if you move over here, you're like, oh my goodness, there's a power source in the painting of my life that I might have forgotten about. Is that too corny? Or does this work? <laughs> there's a power source in my life. And for us as followers of Jesus, that's the power of God. And so it begins to change our approach to our problems because we're like, wait a second. My problems are no match for God's power. I'm living, I'm actually on this beautiful canvas that has beauty, gratitude, wonder, yes, problems, but also power. And it becomes an opportunity to believe in the one who has the power and help me more fully see this painting as a follower of Jesus by faith. Thank you, Nessa, you did wonderful. Can you guys give her a hand? You can take your seat. As pastor's kids, you can make money in weird ways. You can just stand and hold a picture. Um, I think this helps us make sense of some other scriptures that sometimes really don't make sense, like James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? Really? Pure? Pure joy? Not even joy? Pure joy? Don't you just want to like smack a dude sometimes who tries to say this to you? All your trials, consider them pure joy. And he's saying, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, the perseverance finishes its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That is a description of a follower of Jesus who believes in Jesus the Messiah. And that's why Jesus is saying, I'm glad that some of the problems you're facing are happening because they are an opportunity for you to believe and become this. It changes how we approach everything. And it is just the posture of faith. It's just perspective. I have seen it over and over again in my life and over and over again in pastoral work. When someone feels stuck and hopeless in problems only 
And then it's like a divine wake-up call, and it's a divine reframing, and all of a sudden, their life is exactly the same, but they see everything by faith. They see everything as someone who believes, and their whole life is changed again. And I would say, as followers of Jesus, we need to come back to that over and over and over again, because life punches the, the faith and the belief out of us sometimes. It's like, I've just come back to this 30 times. How can I still believe? But Jesus is saying, I'm glad that this opportunity is here because you can be one who believes. And then there's a surprising encouragement in verse 16. It says, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, also known as Doubting Thomas, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, this is kind of like after the meeting. You know how like some if there's an unhealthy team, one of the evidences of an unhealthy team culture is when you have one meeting, but then there's like eight meetings after that where you negatively talk about the one meeting. <laughs> we, we talk about these in our staff uh, with our team. We have, a, I believe, a really healthy team in our leadership community. But if you're, if you're ever having like two or three more side meetings after the meeting where you're bashing everything that happened in the meeting, you're in an unhealthy work culture, right? And you want to work on that. That's a side note. But that's what the disciples are doing. You can take heart because you're just like the disciples. They're having a meeting after the meeting, and Thomas is saying, hey, guys, uh, do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's basically saying, this is crazy. Let's just go die. Every scholar almost across the board believes this was not a declaration of faith, saying we're willing to die, but this was one of two things. Him saying, Jesus is going to go back to where everyone's trying to kill him. We just got him out of there. He's going to get killed. We're going to get killed. Let's go. So in that sense, it's an expression of doubt. Or he may be saying, Jesus just said Lazarus wasn't going to die. Now he just said he's dead. Let's go back. We'll all just die together. You ever had that attitude? <laughs> Whatever. Cast it all. You know, instead of casting our cares, we, we just cast our worries and we, 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 we cast them back on ourselves and on everybody around us. We're like, let's just all die together. Either way, it was a, an expression of doubt and possibly even sarcasm. And this is a disciple of Jesus who remained the disciple of Jesus. And I wanted to close with this because when we talk about believing so much, we often wonder, am I messed up because I'm wrestling with doubt, right? And there's a story I want to take you to in Mark chapter 9. This is a story of a dad who had a son battling demonic possession. So this is a high stakes, devastating story. This dad is in anguish and pain and desperation. This son is demonically possessed and in anguish and pain and desperation. His whole family is hurting and desperate, and they encounter Jesus. And here's the account. It'll be on screen. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the dad answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Wrestling with doubt doesn't mean you don't believe. It means you have an opportunity to cry out, Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I love how the dad just immediately cried out, and he cried out really honestly. He's saying, I believe, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I think anyone who's wrestling honestly with their faith has doubts. I don't think you can really believe and live by faith if you haven't wrestled with doubt. Are you guys tracking with me on that? So when you have doubts, 
come into your mind, don't think, oh, I guess I'm disqualified. I don't really believe. That's a chance for you to say, I believe, Jesus. Help me overcome my unbelief. I want to see every problem by faith. But I'm not really quite doing it right now. Help me believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Our worship team is going to come up now, and our prayer team is going to come up as well because we're going to have some prayer at the altar. And I'm going to ask you if you will just close your eyes with me, bow your hearts with me. I believe the question God invites us to answer today is what problem is God calling you to reframe as an opportunity to believe? What challenge from the really small, just daily annoying things to the really big life-shattering things is God saying, wait, you do not need to let that challenge overcome you. This is an opportunity to believe. This is for your benefit. You will get through this. You can reframe it and you can see beauty and gratitude and availability of power. What urgent need do you need to cry out? Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. We are not messing around here, guys. God invites us to make choices about how we face our problems. He will not force us to take him at his word. He invites us to take him at his word or not. And for sure, some of us here are facing our problems as those who are not living by faith, are not following Jesus. We are going on our own into some of the darkest challenges of our life trying to not take him at his word because of believing some kind of lie or being pummeled down so much. And I can feel the emotion of it. I believe God, he feels the emotion of it with you. He's deeply moved by your pain. And he sees it, cares about it. But he's actually glad because this problem is an opportunity for you to say, wait a second, I am called to live by faith. Wait a second, I am called to take God at his word. I am called to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the King of Kings, the one with all power, and he can handle this problem. You need to say, I believe God is bigger than my problem. I believe he has power, he has grace for me to get through this. You might be in the same moment they're in, in the story. We don't even, we haven't even gotten to the part yet where Lazarus is raised from the dead. Spoiler alert. He gets raised from the dead. But we might not be in that moment yet in our life. And there may be things that just seem totally dead that God is saying to you, I am inviting you to live by faith. It will change everything about your life. You will learn to count it joy when you face trials of many kinds in a deeper way than you ever have before. This is not a one and done kind of process. This happens in every level of our growth with the Lord. You know, the, the text, and just keep your eyes closed with me in prayer. 
The text next week has the shortest verse in the Bible where it says Jesus wept. And we're going to dive into that. But as a preview, what he's weeping over is the pain and the emotion of Mary and Martha as they grieve their brother who's dead, who Jesus did not show up for yet. And he's deeply moved by the pain. And it says Jesus wept. But that does not discount the miracle that's about to happen. And I just, I mean, I'm crying up here. I find myself moved deeply. And I just believe it's it's a very, very small reflection of Jesus weeping over the pain that you endure right now. He's moved by it. There's no words to even express it. All you can do is weep. But that doesn't mean you don't believe. It doesn't mean you can't say, I'm going to choose to live by faith in the middle of my weeping. So we're going to respond together as we sing this song, speaking the name of Jesus. That's what the song is about. I want to speak his name. And as we sing it, we're we're speaking his name in faith. And I invite you to bring these challenges before the Lord. Come pray with someone at the altar. Some of our team is up here. Oscar, you can come too. Um, The altars are open too. Again, I'm just going to say with our eyes open real quick, if, if you're with me and you're saying, I know I have some challenges and I know I have some problems that I'm facing that God is inviting me to approach by faith. Let's just, if that's you, stand with me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys very much. Have a great afternoon.